This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. When you think back to the great leaders, MLK, Malcolm X, that was what they did. They went into the community, rebuilt hope, and helped people identify their community leaders. I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Hey, doing well, doing well. I'm so sorry. I know I probably butchered your name. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a tongue twister there. Um, for our listening audience, I wanted to uh, just talk to you a little bit about the work that you do. Um, you do quite a bit of work, uh, an, an immense amount of work that um, has really been uh, making a difference for a lot of um, uh, Americans and just people of color. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, just kind of your, your upbringing. I know that you're um, a native um, Mississippian, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, what was your uh, growing up like for you. I know that Mississippi is a state that, you know, oftentimes gets a black guy, and um, it's undergone a lot of changes, and there's a lot of work that you're currently do, doing to ensure, you know, further changes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what your your upbringing was like and kind of what propelled you into the, the person you are today? Uh, yeah, so so let me tell you a little about myself. I'm a born and raised country boy from Mississippi. Uh, and one of the things growing up in Mississippi, I grew up, started, um, you know, uh, being raised by my mom and my father. Um, and so we lived, we lived in the country. It was, called, it was Harrison, Mississippi. And so Harrison, Mississippi is close to Fayette, Mississippi, but it's a small town outside of Fayette, near Longing, Mississippi, close to Alcorn State University. And so we lived in a trailer uh, next, door to, next door to my grandmother's. And so growing up, life started off fine. I was uh, mentored by my grandmother. And uh, in between that mentorship and, and just going through life, uh, my mom and father went through a really uh, bad divorce. My father had a mental illness, and uh, that mental illness uh, led us into a divorce. But we we were we were poor. But Walter, you know how sometimes you say you were growing up poor, but you didn't really know you were poor. Um, <clears throat> and so, oh, excuse me, Walter. I'm sorry. And so, one of the things growing up poor, not really understanding we were poor. But when we went through, when my mom and father went through that divorce, it literally woke my eyes up to the poverty that we were living. And so I'll tell you this. It started off, uh, Walter, with um, my father's mental illness. Um, and so some days we would wake up and we would be afraid to go to school because my father would be, you know, pounding on the, the, the door of my, grand, uh, or of my, of my mom's uh, trailer at the time. And so at the time we were going through such a bad time that when I would go to school, the teacher would uh, suggest that I should be put in special education. And so one of the things I always say when I speak to kids across the country, it wasn't that I needed to be put in special education. It was just that my mind was more so back at home based on everything we were dealing with. And so um, went through that um, and went through the uh, steps of the, of the separation. And so because my mom was dependent on my father at the time, we, you know, some days I would be worried about whether or not we would have food on the table to eat. Uh, and so that affected my ability in school as well. 
And one of the things, Walter, that it was so profound, people asked me, you know, why is it that I do what I do every single day um, and to um, – and, and, um, and so and so and so also what happened was and, – and so – and so, and so, Walter, one of those things that um, I dealt with in, inside of that was, you know, that poverty, not knowing where the food would be on the table at night. And one of the biggest things um, that I am actually going to talk about in my new book that I didn't talk about, um, Walter, for years um, as I was doing speeches across the country is because the mere fact of my dad's mental illness and the poverty that we were in, um, the reason why I do my back to school blast every year for book bags and uh, for school supplies because I was worried about school supplies. And the reason why book bags were so important to me, uh, Walter, is growing up, I would get my book bag from school and I would go to my grandmother's house where my father was living at the time. As I stated earlier, Walter, that my father, um, that my grandmother and my mother's uh, homes were like next door, so I could literally run to Granny's house. Um, from my from my from that trailer we were living in, and what we could do was what we did was I would get my book bag, Walter, and I would go over to my grandmother's house because um, my father would have food at his house, but we wouldn't have food at our house. And remember, I told you he was dealing with a mental illness. And one of the things that I would do is I would also um, I would also uh, access if I was doing homework. So as I was getting encyclopedias back in the day, and I would sneak into the freezer and I would get food, uh, and I would put it in my book bag, Walter, and I would walk home, and I would put it in my book bag, and I would bring it home next door so that my mom and my siblings, we could have food to eat. And so I would, uh, you know, it was just so important for me, Walter, at that after. I, at that time, I was just all I could see was my situation, but I knew it would get better. And so, because of how intense my story was, and because of how intense uh, the level of poverty it was, Walter, I decided that when when I would leave out of Mississippi, and um, or you know, whenever my circumstances was better, that I would give back to my community. And so, I started in Mississippi uh, with a youth and legends ball in Mississippi, where I brought. Uh, leaders from all across the country uh, for a night of mixing and mingling with leaders. But, Walter, I'm kind of jumping ahead of it because one of the things that happened between that was my mom was able to move from Harrison, Mississippi, um, and we were able to get a new property and get away from that environment. But at the age of 16, Walter, what really changed my life from selling for average, because I still think I was processing the divorce and everything I had been through, what really moved me from uh, from average um, into being an extraordinary thinker was an opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. As a little boy, I always was intrigued by politics and the things of politics, but I was, you know, uh, I couldn't necessarily see past my uh, situation. And so one of the things that uh, happened, I wrote an essay, uh, essay um, and that essay was, how do you plan to uh, use your gifts and talents to give back to your community? And I saw this to say that, Walter, that in the midst of that, my grandmother, uh, who I looked up to and, and helped to raise me, um, you know, and, and helped to keep us encouraged during that moment of my mom and dad going through this hard divorce, uh, she helped me to write the essay because she was a writer. Um, and I won that essay contest, and Walter gave me an opportunity to go to D.C. and to have an awakening moment. 
And ever since then, I was able to uh, see past my situation of poverty, to see past all the brokenness that I had been through as a child and be able to understand that I could do anything that I put my mind to do. And then, Walter, in saying that, that's one of the core reasons why I decided to give back to my community, starting with the Youth and Legends Ball that I started in Mississippi, uh, started with helping to give student scholarships from the toy drives to the um, food supplies. All of them have had a special moment in my life because it represents something that I went through. And so I always uh, believe in turning my mess into my triumph, into my message, um, and really try and make a difference in my community. Kind of a question I have for you as well, but I know like a lot of uh, public servants and people that you know are involved in politics and the government. You know, it's like they're supposed to be public servants, but it's like you have a lot of people that are just kind of like self-serving and that don't really, um, that aren't really concerned with people. But you seem like a man that's genuine and that is really concerned with helping people and sharing your story as a way to empower people. And I think that that's something that a lot of people still just really, really miss today. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, this is kind of stepping away from it, but um, what would you say is the political climate of today, what would you say that it shows us as Americans? Of late, there's just been a lot of um, controversy, and, you know, of course, our our president-elect is, He's very embattled. Um, as a person yourself that you know works so closely with you know the political climate of today and just all the things that go with that, uh, what would you say you know this present climate shows us about You know, one of the things, Walter, that I'm going to say, and I'm going to keep saying, and I'm going to, and I'm talking about this in my new book, that we can't ever stop speaking up. We can't ever, ever stop speaking up against injustices in our community. We can't ever become comfortable in our community. African-Americans, poor people, we can never become comfortable in our communities. Because one of the things, Walter, I think that this shows us is that in, in a lot of our lifetime, and I talked about this in a column that I wrote, the president that gave us hope, President Barack Obama. And for many uh, generations, the only president that they were able to vote for was an African-American. And so in our society, I think it showed us two things. It showed us that a lot of African-Americans, a lot of uh, people of uh, Hispanics and uh, different other ethical backgrounds, we have become comfortable with where the country was going because we saw the country going in a more progressive way. And in that progressive way, uh, Walter, we had, I also think we have became comfortable and complacent. And on the other side, the second side of things is, I believe, that the other side, that, 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 that evil side, and I'm going to call it evil because I believe racism is evil, that racism in America, that, um, you know, when we, we, when we looked in 1955 at Emmett Till, who was kidnapped and murdered, and I think that uh, by Mamie Till Mobley uh, having that open casket funeral, Walter, it also shows the consciousness of our country, right? And so I believe when Barack Obama became president and after those four years and we saw so much progress and we saw LGBT uh, rights come to the forefront and the Supreme Court uh, legalized gay marriages, we saw the economy boom and we saw the American Recovery Act. And I think because so many people of poverty and so many African-American people didn't have a seat at the table, I believe that that 
sense of racism for wanting to take America back showed its head up. So I would say in this season, we have to always speak truth to power. We can't become silent, and we have to speak up and speak out in our communities more than ever. And I think when we had, when we had the side of progress, we became comfortable. But even in that, we should have been speaking up, speaking out against that evilness of racism, because that is one thing that we have dealt with in America that, that we can't seem to get a hold of because it's rooted in our consciousness. In America, absolutely, you're so right. And you know, our complacency, I think, it really shows, like in this last election, because um, you know, Hillary Clinton, she did win the popular vote, but you know, there still were a lot of people that that didn't get the polls and voted. They vote, you know, a lot of people just said, "Hey, I'm going to pick this election out," and um, you know, of course, the electoral college. Trump, but um, a lot of people just didn't vote. So, I mean, that speaks volumes too that, you know, we can't be complacent in our future. Exactly. Um, what would you say? Uh, I know that uh, a real hot button issue, excuse me, that, uh, that you've been working on, um, you know, to, to fight against is uh, the issue of uh, Confederate monuments and also the Confederate flag. Um, with me being here based here in Memphis, um, you know, just two weeks ago there was a, a rally regarding the, the, the removal of the monument of uh, Mason Dixon Forest. And I know that you've been doing some, some really, really good work in Mississippi. Um, it seems like there's two sides to the issue. You know, you've got the people that say, you know, it's, it's a part of history, it shouldn't be touched, it shouldn't be removed. Um, but then there's people like, you know, you and I that, you know, we feel that, you know, it's really not history. You know, the, the reasoning for being put up, those things being put up and put in place uh, were to, um, you know, to spread hate. Um, how can we, I guess, show the world or show people that, you know, hey, this is not something that is, in fact, history, but something that, you know, You know, one of the things, uh, Walter, that I think more so than anything that I have saw in Mississippi is ensuring that we elect uh, people that are on the right side of history. Yes. Um, because one of the things that I've noticed in Mississippi is that had we had more African Americans uh, who believe in, uh, in, in taking down the Confederate flag, had we had more uh, progressive Caucasians who believe in taking down the Confederate flag, we literally could have got a vote on the House floor. Um, um, the first legislative session after um, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, after we had that, um, that big incident there, um, we could have definitely got it on the House floor, got it, I mean, out of committee, on the House floor, we could have had a vote and the flag of Mississippi would have been taken down. And so now it can't come out of committee because you have lawmakers who believe that the Confederate flag represents a good side of history. And so one of the things I've been doing, Walter, is telling uh, the citizens of Mississippi, my home state of Mississippi, is that when the governor election comes up uh, in 2020, ask the governor, where are you standing on the Confederate flag? 
And if the governor tell if the uh, if the elected officials who are coming in your community tell you that they are going to keep that flag up, then you need to vote the difference. And so one of the biggest things that I saw, Walter, with these Confederate monuments, it is not about the monument at all. The monuments they can come down immediately if we have the right elected officials and we ask the tough questions prior to sending those into all halls of Congress and into the chamber of the Senate and into we sit in, also into in who we send in City Hall and who we send in the governor mansion. That has been my biggest thing in Mississippi. We have rallied the people. We have had rallies. We've had town halls. We've proposed a new flag. We came to Washington. But they are not bucking. And you know why they're not bucking, Walter? Is because they understand and they have seen the data that African Americans don't come out and vote. So the governor of Mississippi just proposed to have the flag put on the 2018 ballot because he understands that based on voting trends and based on the statistics, nine times out of ten, they're not going to come out to vote. And so the flag will stay in Mississippi. So it goes to my last point here, that we got to get out and vote. Black folks got to get out and vote. Black folks got to stop saying, I get this all the time, black folks tell me, Devalier, thank you for coming down to D.C. and speaking up. And I, and you know what I tell them now is, Walter, I'm sick of spending my own money to come down there and speak up. When are you going to step up and help us, and you're going to use your voice to speak up and speak out against these issues? So we need black folks to get involved. We need black folks to go out and vote. We need black folks to help us. And, 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 and I said this is my last point, Walter, but this is going to really be my last point. And we also need pastors and churches to use the pulpit to speak truth to power on these uh, monuments and flags. So we need them to help because we know most African Americans attend church on Sunday in the South, and especially in the Deep South. We need those black pastors to start using that pulpit, just like Dr. King uh, did, and just like John Lewis and all of them did back during the Civil Rights Movement, to, uh, to rally up the people to speak up and speak out against these issues in our community. The black community is too silent and we're too complacent on these issues. And that's why we're not getting the respect we need to ensure that these monuments and flags come down. Um, where do you think the disconnect is happening? Um, this may be an asinine question, but um, are civics and, and politics, and I guess public speaking, are those things still taught in most public schools down south here? And you know what? I don't necessarily know. Um, I know growing up, we were, my truck grade uh, government teacher, he would register us to vote. We had to get registered to vote as a requirement for his class. So I don't necessarily know what they're doing now in the South as that in, in that regard. But one of the things that I see that we are not doing in our communities enough, we have a lot of our, our, our black pastors, our churches, we have turned our, um, our, our back to the government. We turn so we want to separate the church and government. But we we only want to do that when it's beneficial to us. There are many African American churches that are receiving federal funds and grants through their five oh one C nonprofit. So I don't buy into the idea that we're going to separate on something. So if you're going to receive federal funding, then you also should be able to get in the pulpit and speak truth to power to say, we need to get out and vote. We need to have voters you know, we, we need to, and, and churches can partner with different organizations to have those uh, type of conversations to uh, be able to educate, bring people 
begin to educate what the Confederate flag means. But so many times we run away from those issues in our communities. And another thing that I have learned by being an activist in the South, that everybody in these, in these days, Walter, because social media and um, all of these different outlets and news media is sometimes to our, uh, to our, work, it's our worst enemy. I have so many activists who they will only support this rally instead of supporting every rally that brings down the Confederate flag. I have so many people who we come into public service work and we come into activist work with our own personal agendas. We try and get famous off the Confederate flag. We try and get famous off of controversial issues instead of looking at the big picture. So, you know, Walter, I can't put one thing on anything. It's a lack of unity in our community. It is just so many different layers under that underlying issue that affect why sometimes the African-American community, we struggle with progress. Uh, And it's just so many different layers. And those are just a few that I have a chance to talk about tonight that I have experienced from my own personal experience. I've had people to tell me, uh, Walter, that, how do you have a right to come to Mississippi uh, and speak truth to power about the flag? You don't live here any longer. But I lived in Mississippi for 25 years under that flag. I had a grandmother who would tremble. I had a grandmother who would tremble at the thought of that flag being posted in the state of Mississippi. And but that's what I. That's sometimes what I'm up against as an activist. That people say, "Oh, you shouldn't be speaking." So when you're using your platform to speak against my rally, and as a black man using his platform to speak against my rally and disencourage people to come, that's another issue. Because my rally to initiate change is not hurting the issue, it's bringing attention to the issue. And so we deal with so many of that in the uh, African-American community. And my last um, year of working on that Confederate flag issue, I tell you all to, I will want to, and if you don't play anything in this interview, I would definitely want you to play this to activists that we have to get into public service work and get into activism because that's truly what we're passionate about. It's truly an issue that is dear to our hearts. Activists and uh, controversial issues is not a way for us to get famous and popular off. And so, so many times I have seen people try and ride controversial issues as activists to be able to make a name for themselves, and that's not what public service work is about. Uh, we literally are the servants of the people, and we're in it because we want to really make a difference and move needles along the way. And so one of the biggest challenges that I've seen is our own personal agenda have held back so much of the fight for justice and equality in our community. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, it's, uh, it's divisiveness in our own community that, that's really hurting us. You know, sometimes I I think, you know, I wonder, you know, would Matt Grabber, Dr. King, Malcolm X, would, you know, these are just a few, but, I mean, I wonder how they would feel about, you know, our progress as people, you know, because they literally fought and died. You know, while we have progressed in some areas, you know, there's more black millionaires than ever before, business owners and so on and so forth, but just whole, it just seems like there's a real a real um, separation between ourselves as people and, you know, and how we relate to one another. And so I just um, I just don't know. But you hit on some, some really amazing things there that, that really and, and, and Walter, one of my goals is, and I've dealt with a lot of uh, different personalities and different people and um, 
uh, throughout this journey of justice uh, that I've been on uh, the last couple of years. And one of the things that I personally have learned is that if we can change the minds of our future generations, so I think about myself as a young boy when my grandmother would tell me stories of the civil rights movement and my grandmother would say, you know, I was a drum major for justice, but this is what I did. So my grandmother said, you know, she wasn't as um, as loud as her cousin. I would never forget that she had a, um, a cousin who was named Lucy, and her cousin Lucy would go in March when she heard Dr. King was going to be in Jackson or Tuckaboo. And my grandmother said, I would go to the more smaller uh, gatherings because, you know, I, I was obedient to um, the white folks at that time, as uh, my grandmother would say. Uh, but, Walter, one of the things that um, I try and do is just like what you see my organization do every year. We go into schools and we um, give them book bags to the needy. Because, and then we give, you know, uh, toys to those that are in need. Because I believe that if you can start uh, sowing those good seeds of giving and encouraging young people to know that it's not about your situation, it's not about what you're currently going through, but if you can uh, make it, if you can illuminate their minds and give them a sense of hope, I believe that that hope, those young people will be just like I am today. Because the reason why I have the character and the ambitions that I have, because it was people who reached down to me when I was in that poverty state and said, hey, you should really speak up and speak out in your community. You really should use your voice because you're passionate about these particular topics that I began to take root to that. And so, Walter, I would encourage people that are listening today to kind of ignore the noise and to focus on our future generation, to go out and mentor young boys in the school system and impart that truth to power in them, to build that character and integrity, to always do the right thing, even under pressure, to always speak truth to power. Don't be intimidated. Be able to help so many other people. You know, Walter, I have this rule that sometimes even if I know people are coming into my territory to use my platform, that I would allow them to use my platform to push the agenda to ensure that the Confederate flag come down because we should be one when it comes to the Confederate flag. You know, Walter, some people are coming to my, my space and want to use my platform for all kind of things, and I allow that when we are moving the needle. And that's where, where I went back, where I want to go back to, Walter, is that we have to train our next generation that there's nothing wrong with helping one another. So many times in our African-American community, we rise to the occasion and we never help anybody else. And so one of the things that I do, Walter, I have a rule. Anything with the Confederate flag that moves the needle, that speaks truth to power, I share it on my social media. I'm going to ensure that the message get out. I'm going to help those individuals to move that needle because – I believe, and my grandmother taught me this because she, we were raised spiritual, uh, that what you make happen for others, God would just make happen for you. And I think somewhere along the lines, our community, we, uh, we, we want things to happen for us, but we don't want to ever open that door for things to happen for other people. And so that is a philosophy that I think we need to get to as a community, that we have to help one another to be able to ensure that unified voice in our community. I agree with you. Yeah, uh, life is definitely about the reciprocity and just passing it on. And I mean, it's no matter what your faith walk is like, you know, I, I think most people will agree. You know, what you put in, you get out, and you just life, you know, goes so much better, and you're so much more blessed, you know, just from a, a 
spiritual and a physical standpoint when you um, when you give as opposed to receive. And so when you pass things on, when you help somebody else out, it only helps you out. You know, um, there's um, uh, a saying by Frederick Douglass, and I think it says something to the effect of, um, if you want to be lifted up, first lift somebody else up. And that's so true. I mean, you can't. You'll never be as effective if you're just going around with your hand out and just kind of, you know, looking to serve other people. You know, that's life's most important question in life. You know, what am I doing for others? That's just a true statement of what she said. Um, I've got just two more questions. Um, One of my questions is twofold. Um, I know that she's done a lot with, um, in terms of the, the legacy of Emmett Till. And um, one of the things is that she's really been pushing for the prosecution, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the prosecution of Carolyn Bryant, who is actually the, the woman, the accuser um, in, the, in the situation. Um, can you tell us um, what headway you've made with that, and uh, why is this so important? I'll tell you this, Walter. Uh, thank you for that. But one of the things I told you, I've been, uh, I've been uh, familiar with Emma Till's story for many years. Um, I am a, also a student of Nigga Everett, and so um, definitely was a, a student of Emmett Till's story. Uh, but not until last year um, when I heard the news of Carolyn Bryan telling a lie that I began to think, how can I use my voice to speak truth to power? Um, again, that I, that I was from Mississippi, I had been working on the Confederate flag, I had just asked the governor for an apology in Mississippi, and in that interview, I told the governor if he wants to bring racial reconciliation uh, to the murder of Emmett Till and Mega Everett, he could start by bringing down that Confederate flag and creating a new day to provide healing for the state of Mississippi. Um, And at that time, I was basically just making references to Emmett, but I myself had not been on the front lines, Walter, fighting. Uh, for Emmett Till. Uh, Emmett Till family, of course, uh, Keith Roshan uh, out of New York has been a drum major for justice for Emmett. Had an opportunity to meet him as I was going through this process. But myself, I can't personally take credit for saying that I've been on the front line for Emmett Till for many years. I just recently uh, stepped up to the plate. And this is the reason why I stepped up to the plate, uh, Walter. During that time, I was calling people and Everybody was so silent about it. I said, are we going to have a rally? Or are we going to demand justice for Emmett? Um, and so people said, have you read the legal opinion that it's not going to happen? And then I started to call attorneys, and I started to call people, and I couldn't get anybody. And then I started to call activists, and they said, oh, Emmett Till is different. You're stirring up something uh, that's going to get us in trouble. And so one of the things I thought about when they said that, I thought about Congressman John Lewis, who always says to find a way to get in the way, make some noise, necessary noise for trouble. And so at that time, I decided to start the planning process. But I battled with it internally because I knew how serious this issue was and uh, getting justice for any till. And from that, I led the Emmett Till rally uh, demanding justice and an apology for the life of Carolyn Bryant that led to the murder of Emmett Till. And we, to this day, were still demanding justice for Emmett. 
Uh, I do not know where the Department of Justice is on any uh, case. We do understand that we have a Republican president, um, and we have Jeff Sessions, who is actually um, there as the, uh, uh, you know, over the Attorney General, over the uh, DOJ. Uh, so I don't know where we order with the case, but I can say this, Walter. The reason why is we talked about how black folks are silent and black folks don't want to speak up. We better speak up. And one of the things, had I not been, uh, you know, inspired by John Lewis, I don't know had I would have taken on that task for Emmett Till. Uh, and so to this day, you probably notice I still write about Emmett. I still share the work of Emmett, uh, you know, his mama Mamie Till Mosley, and um, just working to make sure that people will never forget um, Emmett Till. And so, you know, that's how I kind of got into that, that I just stepped up to the plate in February, and I hosted that rally and led that rally. And from there, um, they, they'll always tell you people who research in the field say that if you ever research and you ever get attached to the story, you can't let it go. And um, and so you probably see that I'm always uh, mentioning and referencing in the field because I want the world to never forget um, the brave step of his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, by speaking up and showing the world. And that, as you notice, when I opened up, I talked about that because yes. even in 1955, had Mamie Till Mobley not made that step to show the world what happened to her son, I don't know what the world would have ever seen the consciousness of America. And so, so many people talk about the current president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, but he is also showing the consciousness of America showing the consciousness, and so we have battled with that for so many generations, and I think we're going to continue to battle with that for generations to come, but the key to the African-American community not losing our thought and our flavor and our influence, Walter, we have to unify, and we have to become one voice, and we have to get out of our eyes and get into our weeds, because that's the only way we're going to see progress in the African-American community, because the world knows and this country knows that African-Americans, we have always dealt with that we spirit of, that I spirit versus we. We've always dealt with that as a race. And so until we can unify, we're going to only have particular we in our community until we can unify. We definitely have to unify. Um, I want to uh, jump ahead because I know we're almost out of time, but I wanted to talk to you about your, your upcoming book, which is something that you've been working on for quite some time. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about it, just um, what was the writing process like? Um, what is it about? Uh, so, Walter, the book has been in the process since 2012. Wow. And so I started writing this book in 2012, uh, started journeying my, my life journey. So it started off as a memoir. Um, and I got into Washington, D.C., uh, in 2014, and I started uh, finding my voice, you know. Uh, so when I started to find my voice, I said, hey, I'm kind of still young. What am I going to tell people in the memoir? I said, so let me take everything that I've found my voice in and put it into a book. And so basically what I'm doing, Walter, is all of the columns that you saw that I spoke on, uh, HB 1523, Emmett uh, uh the Mississippi State flag, it was a story behind why I spoke truth to power. Uh, because I believe, Walter, if we're going to truly speak truth to power, it has to be something you're authentically passionate about, and it has to be a process. And so for me, uh, Walter, just like I said, that process 
to finally step up to Emmett Till Rally was a 30-day process of me just praying about it, of me researching. And so the book will talk about that. And the book also will be a manual for those who want to make a difference. It just pretty much tell my journey line of how I got into becoming an activist at an early age, using my voice in my community, and to this present day. And whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a politician, or whether you're a lawyer, whatever part of society you're in, it is our job to use our influence and our salt to always seek the power, to always speak up when we see injustices in our community, no matter what part of society you're in. So it's to encourage those who are already speaking up and also to ignite a fire in those who may be afraid to find their voice and to find their place in the world. So it helps people to say, you know what, I see myself in this part of the book. I see what Duvalier went through to plan the Emmett rally. I see the authenticness of how passionate he was about making sure that it was the right thing to do and the right timing, that I want to find my voice and I want to speak up for human rights and justice and equality for all. That is the goal of the book, uh, to encourage those who are already making a difference and to unitify it and those who may be afraid to use their voice to speak truth to power in whatever part of society in which they have that influence. I love it. I love it. And do I, um, so the book should be out uh, this early spring, early spring. I'm actually still working on finalizing the actual release date, but I am looking early spring. My goal is uh, by by April. April is my birthday month, and that is a goal that I've set. So definitely going through some of the last stages of the editing process and uh, making sure that I'm, you know, uh, uh, capturing everything because even now, uh, I closed out the year talking about how I found my truth. Uh, I found my uh, my truth in my voice this year, and so how you know speaking truth to power helped me to find my voice, and so that's how I ended the year. So I definitely added that process into uh, the book as well. So I'm definitely excited. I'm excited to go on book tour. Um, and just just super excited about it. And along with the book, I'm actually working on establishing a podcast. And so it will be a podcast that also will invite guests who care about their community and speak truth to power in their community. And we'll be talking to them also about their journey line of how they started to care and to want to speak up and speak out in their community, whether that's in education, whether that's in the arts and crafts, whatever part of society I'm talking to those diverse guests on my on my podcast. So they can actually follow me on uh, on Facebook at Duvalier Malone Official, on Instagram uh, at Duvalier Malone Official as well, and on Twitter at Duvalier Malone. Uh, my website address is DuvalierMalone.com. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. And um, from all the questions, I just wanted to open up, Brady, if there's anything else you'd like to say to our listeners. The only thing I want to say tonight is, Walter, first of all, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really appreciate the opportunity, um, and I don't take it for granted um, you have uh, you invited me into your your, your space um, and your platform and your uh, influence. Uh, and I would say to your listeners uh, tonight that whenever you see injustices in your community, no matter what part of society you're in, whether you're a politician, whether you're a doctor in a hospital and you see patients that are being discriminated against, 
whether you're an attorney that's in the courtroom and you see discrimination, whether you're a fashion designer and you see discrimination in the industry, no matter what part of society you're in, to always speak up, speak up against those injustices within our community. But most of all, always speak truth to power. Because when we speak truth to power, it demands change in our community. Because, as again, Walter, I'm a man of faith. I believe that the truth will set us free. Thank you so much. I, I greatly appreciate this. Um, I'm just excited that you were able to stop by the show today. I know you're a busy, busy man, and um, you've blessed me immensely. And you said some things that were really a call to action to just, uh, not only our listeners, but to me. And for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. Thank you. No, thank you, Walter, for having me on your show tonight. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's no problem at all. Guys, that was um, our special guest, D.Y.A. Malone. I'm butchering his name. Um, but uh, make sure to check him out. We'll put the link to his website in the body of this post. Um, if you are um, listening to this um, on uh, SoundCloud, go ahead and subscribe to us. We're also on your um, iOS device. If you've got an Apple product of any kind, you can listen to us by downloading the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Uh, Don't free in the iTunes store. And I want to um, add push our show name, do the following common culture. We hear this on you. Uh, we're also available for Android users. If you've got an Android phone or an Android device of any kind, uh, go to the Google Play Store, search Google Play Music, search for our show name, do the following common culture. You'll hear this on you. And lastly, if you've got a Roku player or a Roku smart television, uh, you can actually watch the TV uh, right from the privacy of your own home. Uh, just go to the Roku channel store, search for our name, Written Radio. Uh, download our app. Once you download our app, you'll be able to stream over 200 plus hours. Content programming that you can't use, all free of charge. 